0: Hello and welcome everybody to CB Music Club. This week's podcast, we are venturing back in time to 1973. How are we chaps? We've got Chris... Hello. We've got Al. Hello there. And we've got Will. Hello. So, are we all well? You had a good week since last we spoke. Yeah. Everybody in good form. All right, all right. Oh, grumbles. All right. What are you all drinking tonight? Al, what you got there?
1: It's wildcard brewery table beer, which is very weak. Yeah. I know the wildcard brewery. It's in Walthamstow in East 17 in London. I used to go there quite a lot. They've got a bar in the brewery where you can sit in and order their beer fresh and uh, it's very nice. What about you, Chris?
2: I'm drinking Leffy Blonde. Oh, nice. Leffy? Lef- yeah, Leffy. Leffy Blonde, which I first discovered many, many years ago when you used to be able to um, go to things like food and drink festivals. There was a very early one in Edinburgh called the Taste Festival. Got complimentary tickets for it for some reason. And... uh Wandered in and was um, accosted by the Leffy rep who dragged us into a tent and they were doing Leffie beer and food matching tasting sessions, which was a novelty back then. I think it's a bit more common now, isn't it, to match food mm. with beer. But anyway, it's quite novel then. So they just had um, various different Leffys and, and other Belgian beers and then little morsels of seafood and chocolate and all kinds of things. I haven't drunk it for a long time, but I thought I'd dip back into it today. So cheers. No, that is good, good stuff. stuff.
0: Yeah. I've always found it goes well with crisps. Yeah, but they
2: were kind of pairing it, with, they're pairing it with like dark chocolate. Yeah. I think the brown
1: one would go with chocolate, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think this one they'd paired with like a seafood, a little sort of prawn volavant sort of thing.
1: Volavant. Not volavant.
2: Volavant. Volavant.
3: vol-a-vant. That's what we called Surely. them in the 70s, mate. You and Margaret led better. Margot. Not Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Will? What are you drinking? I'm having a, a wee glass of red wine. For my health, health reasons. And then um, also on my staple, which is that lovely Belvoir ginger beer cordial. Very nice. Very nice.
1: You say Belvoir very weirdly. Belvoir. 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 Very Frenchly.
3: It's because I'm watching that programme. What's it called? Allo, (laughs) allo. (laughs) Allo. No. um, Oh, God, what's it called? Something, my agent. Anyway, it's Um, on Netflix. Yes, my wife uh, is... Obsessing in, about in, that it's all, all in moment. French. So
2: that's right. me now. I zoned out a bit there. What are
3: you watching at the moment? Uh, call my agent. That's it. Call ah. my agent. Is it good? It's very
2: nice. <laughs> we just finished watching Lupin, which is also French, which was um, utterly ridiculous but quite entertaining. Uh, Lupin, surely. Oui. Lupin. <laughs> Lupin. <laughs> Mais oui. Mais oui.
1: <laughs> I actually got some feedback from one of our earlier podcasts. My friend Darren, the Sweeney. He and his wife, Julie, had been listening to our Let England Shake podcast and they both were so impressed by our enthusiasm for it that apparently they both said to one another, really must give this album a listen. And uh, it's really quite nice that we convinced people who had never heard of P.J. Harvey to actually go and listen to a P.J. Harvey album Mm -hmm. and not, you know, the most mainstream P.J. Harvey as well. So... That was all good, apart from the fact that they both hated it.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh.
3: um, right, but okay. you
1: know, at least they were they were open-minded enough to go and give it a listen. So um, yeah. Yeah. well done, them. Cheers, Darren. Oh, that's a shame. It's a pity, but... but have we blocked them now? Then I think yeah, the other way around. Them never to never contact <laughs> or me again.
2: They've
0: unfollowed us. One of the two. <laughs>
1: Nick, what are you drinking?
0: What am I drinking? I am drinking juicy IPA. <laughs> What's the name of the brewery? Three Ravens. It's Melbourne. And it has a little band around the top that says, Treat like milk, drink from the can. However, I'm not doing that. I'm drinking that out of a glass. It's very nice, though. <laughs> so that's what we're drinking. What we've been listening to this week, Will, have you been listening to anything interesting?
3: The album that we're looking at, uh, Roxy Music. I noticed that um Music were on Island Records and... In 2019, they were 60 years old because they started out by a guy called Chris Blackwell, which you've probably heard of. In 1959, would you believe, which was the year I was born. So what I've been listening to is I found on Spotify, Island Records, 60 Years, some amazing, amazing music like Bob and Earl, Harlem Shuffle, Desmond Decker, Israelites, Nick Drake's Riverman, and Love is a Drug, Roxy Music, so, yeah, the island record stuff was very good. But as with life, there's always a cloud in the silver lining. And in this case, it was Mumford and & Sons and the B-52s. Both, I just can't stand. I'm
1: not going to argue with you about Mumford & Sons, although I have seen them live and they were actually quite good. But B-52s, come on. Kate Pearson's voice is like the happiest thing in the history of man. <laughs> I do enjoy yeah. dancing to yeah. Love Shack, to be fair. She's just, oh, and my wrong. God. Rome, oh, I, I love, love Rome. Rome, Rome is a great song yeah. Yeah.
3: I knew you were going to argue with me Rock Lobster's a classic <laughs> oh,
1: Love God, Rock Lobster no,
3: no. That will get me off a dance floor
1: at any
2: time <laughs> I remember that yeah. then <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we're trying to get you to the bar
1: Here's an
3: um, Island Records little um, pop quiz for you Tom Tom Club, what's their pedigree? Oh, yeah, they're from Talking Heads Ah, oh, there you go, too easy for you Yeah, <laughs> Tina Weymouth and uh, Chris France Chris France Yeah, Yeah. ah, too easy, okay
1: <laughs> Nice try though, gotta get up a million words to get past Nick Preferably while he's still asleep, you need to be asking these <laughs> questions <laughs> Okay,
0: yeah. thank you, well what about you Al, what have you been listening to?
1: Well, My main listening's been a band called Pottery Back I think in November, oh, I was speaking on the phone to my friend Phil And he was saying he'd been listening to a band called The Potteries. And I should check them out because they were really good. And I said, I will give them a listen. And since then, uh, every time I've spoken to him, and occasionally he's been sending me texts as well saying, have you listened to the Potteries yet? So I went and looked for the Potteries who don't exist. But there was this Canadian band called Pottery. And I found a song on YouTube called The Craft with a video. And I thought, you know, this is a bit annoying. But it kind of won me over. It's a bit oddball. They look like millennial hipsters, They've got silly haircuts and unnecessary moustaches and ill fitting charity shop clothes and the like. So, I'm kind of disposed to not really like them, but actually, they're absolutely fantastic. I'm surprised if none of you know them. I'm sure they must have been Six Music. Chris, you must have heard them, surely. They seem like the sort of band who would have been.
2: I don't recognise the name, but I might have heard a tune. Stick it on the playlist and I'll let you know.
1: Their sound is very sort of post-punk, like, I don't know, television or Wire or, like, Gang of Four or something like that. They're really energetic, they play quite fast and and furious. Really interesting musically and they're just brilliant. Very good. We'll give them a listen. What about you, Chris? The Wedding Present are putting
2: out new versions of old songs, which I was aware of because my favourite dress, which is a very early Wedding Present classic tune popped up and Crawl also from um, Sea Monsters, I think. They're called Locked Down and Stripped Back Versions. And I've just had a look and there's actually an album coming out later this month. And it's the band playing favourite bits of their back catalogue. Kind of much as we're doing now, they're on some sort of video link. So they're recording them individually from their homes and then splicing them together afterwards. And yeah, a whole album coming out in the next Week or so, I think, which I'm quite looking forward to. And I was also this afternoon listening to a bit of the Vince Garaldi trio doing some of their Charlie Brown soundtrack tunes, um, which kind of made for nice Saturday afternoon listening. Gentle jazz. Lovely. Nice. Lucy and Linus is a particular favourite.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. I love that album. I've been listening to a couple of things. I'd gone and looked at a couple of Things from 1973 actually, which caught my eye when I was choosing tonight's album, one of which was Bill Withers' live at Carnegie Hall. I had been on a Michael Kiwanuka jag relatively recently, and they're mm-hmm. quite similar, and I really like. So I really like that album. So that's great. Uh, and the other thing I've been watching a film from 1973, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, and there's the scene in that film where Slim Pickens gets shot. And the soundtrack is written by Bob Dylan He released the album that year as well His song Knockin' on Heaven's Door That version in that scene is just amazing And the other thing, I was listening to a new single from an American folk country singer Lyle Neal called Blue Vein Which I'd heard on Six Music. It's really nice melancholy slow folk song just her strumming on a guitar with an omni so i'd ordered her new album which arrived in the post today and i'm looking forward to listening to that yeah that's what i've been listening to what we're going to do next is 1973 al is going to give us a little bit of context for the year before we get to our album
1: So, 1973. It seems that every time we do these run-throughs of the events of a year, that every year is just horrific. And I know in part that's just because you remember the bad news, more than you remember the good news, I suppose. But it does seem that 1973 is a particularly bad one, even compared to some of the years we've covered already. And even when there was good news, such as the signing of the Paris Peace Accords that happened in January that led to the end of the US involvement in the Vietnam War... That was still just the end of US involvement and the war actually continued for more than two years beyond that point. But it was good that the US pulled the troops out. However... It's not like they'd learned any lessons about their interfering in the politics of other nations, as on the 11th of September in 1973, they backed a military coup in Chile that saw the democratically elected socialist government of Salvador Allende overthrown by fascistic military dictatorship led by General Augusto Pinochet. Now, obviously, um, this is not CB Politics Club, so the horrors of the Pinochet regime are beyond the scope of my coverage. But um, I would like to remind people that as well as being backed by the USA, Pinochet was a dear friend of Margaret Thatcher and that you should never vote Tory. Indeed, yeah. While we're on the subject of dictators, in January 1973, Ferdinand Marcos became the president for life of the Philippines. And I'm assuming that Imelda made a start in her shoe collection as well. The other big geopolitical news of the year was the 1973 Arab-Israeli War, the Yom Kippur War, which in its turn led to the First Oil Crisis when OPEC imposed an embargo on nations who had backed Israel in the war. The embargo didn't have a great deal of effect in the UK, as we were much more reliant on our own coal reserves than we were on oil for our energy. But we were having our own energy crisis at the time, as we had strikes by miners and rail workers over the winter. And the three-day week was imposed on the 31st of December, 1973, just in time to make it into my roundup. And the oil embargo was also music news, because the oil shortage just meant that vinyl production was affected. And lots of albums Ooh, were yes. either delayed until the new year or were released on strictly limited runs. The one other thing I should mention, and it's almost too depressing looking back here from the start of 2021, that first of January 1973 was when Denmark, Ireland, and the UK joined the EEC. That would never last. Nah, I know. Since <laughs> so turn that one around. <laughs> More cheerfully <laughs> and also musically and what could be more cheerful than the New Eurovision Song Contest. The 18th contest hosted by the previous winners, which were Luxembourg. And uh, Luxembourg won it again. Can you believe? Consecutive victories. What? Uh, the song, the song, uh, and here we go with the French again, was uh, Toutes Nétras" uh, And it was sung by Anne-Marie David. Second place was Spain. Song called RS2. Your Spanish
2: um, is better than your French. Oh, I God, think, yeah.
1: yeah. RS2 was sung by Mosidades. And third with the UK. Well done, a UK. And so you find out it was Cliff Richard who was singing Power to All Our Ooh. Friends. I listened to all three songs earlier oh. and I've got to say, I thought a Spanish one was best of the three. I did notice that in 1973 Luxembourg won with 129 points. And the following year, ABBA got 24 points to win. And I was wondering, how can this be? So I was looking at the marking systems of the Eurovision Song Contest and in 1971, 72, 73, they had a a system that was actually very similar to the way that Will marks his albums (laughs) when we're reviewing them. They had two jurors, each of whom gave each song a mark out of five. They added the two together and that's what each song got. But the weakness is felt to be that unscrupulous jurors might mark other nations low. To benefit their own nation So it was scrapped after three years Going back to the previous system Which had 10 jurors from each country Who each picked a favourite song So every song got something up to 10 points But there were only 10 points available From each jury Which is why ABBA only got 24 points None of them were from the UK incidentally And then in 1975 they moved on to the current jury system Which is far too complicated for me to understand Who knew that marking a Eurovision song contest Was so complex? Now another recurring theme I've noticed When looking back in years Is people having terrible accidents I remember when I was covering 1984 That December 1984 was carnage Rock stars crashing everywhere 73, not quite so bad In June 1973, Robert Wyatt Who as you know is uh, wheelchair bound I'm sure um, He actually fell out of a fourth floor window Of a flat in Maida Vale in London uh, When he was at a friend's birthday party And was paralysed from the waist down And has been wheelchair bound ever since Although he ironically credits the fall with saving his life as his alcoholism was severely out of hand at the time and he reckons that had this not happened, he would surely have drunk himself to death or perhaps fallen out of another window and killed himself, who knows. The following month, Don Powell, drummer from Slade, was severely injured in a car crash in which his fiance Angela Morris, was killed. He recovered after surgery and ten weeks after was able to meet up with the band to record Merry Christmas Everybody. Then in August, Stevie Wonder was involved in a car crash in North Carolina, which uh, he spent four days in a coma. Shouldn't have let him drive in the first place. Well, that was exactly (laughs) my thought. (laughs) Ooh... (laughs) Oh God, I just really hoped that someone would make that joke so I didn't have to. (laughs) Not quite the same scale of accident, but um, on the 20th of November, when the WHO were opening their Quadrophenia US tour. With a concert at San Francisco's Cow Palace, Keith Moon passed out three songs from the end of the gig. And had to be carried off the stage. And Pete Townsend asked for a volunteer from the audience to finish the gig. And a young man called Scott Halpin came on and played drums <laughs> to finish the gig out. And he said after the show, I really admire their stamina. I only played three numbers and I was dead. <laughs> so anyway, to wrap up, I'm going to tell you about some things that were no more after 73. And then some things that came into being in 73. So Ronnie Lane, he played his last show with the faces. Ronnie Lane was the main creative force behind the small faces and the faces. And quite a sad character afterwards. He was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis a few years later. Very sad tale of his decline and death. David Bowie retired Ziggy Stardust, quite famously, in front of a live audience at Hammersmith Odeon at the end of his tour. Not one, but two members of the Birds died that year. Clarence White, who was only 29, was uh, killed by a drunk driver. Don't know if it was Stevie Wonder, reports are unconfirmed. (laughs) And Graham Parsons, whose real name I discovered is uh, Cecil Ingram Connor III and was only 26, died of a drug overdose. Uh, Noel Coward died of heart failure. Betty Grable died of lung cancer, only 56. Victor Yara, the Chilean folk singer, theatre director and political activist, was murdered by Pinochet's generals along with many, many other people in the National Football Stadium in Santiago. Jim Croce, singer died in a plane crash. Gene Cruper, the jazz drummer, he died. And Bobby Darren, real name Walden Robert Casoto, died of a heart attack. He was only 37. And some bands who called it a day that year as well. There was the Archies, the Doors, Free, the Everly Brothers, the Birds, you won't be shocked to hear, Bread, Pentangle, the Velvet Underground. And uh, my favourites of the list, uh, Reparata and the So that's all very sad, but far more positively. It seems that every single member of Slipknot and Creed seems to have been born in 1973. Kess played her first gig, January 1973, at the Coventry Club in Queens, New York. Carlin Corr, the drummer from the Cores, she was born in March. Akon, the rapper, we know about the rappers. Akon the Rapper was born in April. Josh Homme, or is it Homie? I'm never sure. Homie, I think. Went from Queens of Stone Age, he was born in May. Yeah, he was born in May. Richard Branson's Virgin Records released their first album. I'm sure a shoe-in for Chris's Album of the Year. Did everyone know what album that was? I would imagine that would be Tube La Bells. You're quite right, it was indeed. Rayla Montagna, singer-songwriter, mm. was born. Gretchen Wilson, the country singer. Queen released her debut album. Rufus Wainwright was born. Fran Healy, frontman of Travis. Born on the 23rd July, the same day as Monica Lewinsky. The 11th of August, 1973, DJ Kool Herc invented hip-hop at a party. He invented the two-turntable breakbeat for people to dance to the breaks from his James Brown records. I'd never heard of him before investigating this. And considering the cultural impact of the man, which is almost as large as anyone in music considering hip-hop, you know? It's quite surprising that he's not better known, I think. Sydney Opera House was opened in October. CBGB's Manhattan opened in December. New bands, Backman Turner Overdrive, Bad Company, Cabaret Voltaire, Devo, Heart, Journey, Kansas, Los Lobos, Montrose, Pilot, Rose Royce, The Rubettes, Run Rig, amazingly. Sailor, Shawaddy Waddy, The Hill Gang, Television, Ultravox, The Wombles. Quite a variety of uh, many, many bands starting up. and uh, a thing for everyone, yeah on the 31st of december as the uk was entering the three-day week two of its ex-pats at the checkers nightclub in sydney malcolm and angus young were playing their first ever gig under the name acdc Migration's obviously a good thing right 1973 it's not all bad but it's pretty depressing stuff
0: That was 1973, and I picked the album For Your Pleasure by Roxy Music as my choice this week. This is Roxy Music's second album. Their self-titled first came out the year before in 1972. And it is the last to feature Brian Eno, who left later that year to release his own first album, Here Come the Warm Jets. This album got to number four in the UK chart. There was just one single, which was the first song, Do the Strand And I'd always avoided Roxy music I don't quite really know why I think my, my first introduction to Brian Ferry Was when he covered Jealous Guy and actually I quite liked that but I'd never really quite took to Brian Ferry I don't really know why I think he seemed a little too cocky and sure of himself (laughs) but I discovered Brian Eno much later on and was really interested and I've always thought I should go back and explore what he was doing with Roxy Music in those early days so I chose this album and I'm kind of glad I did because it was extremely interesting to listen to to hear a record which I think must have influenced an awful lot of people. What did you guys think? Let's start with Chris.
2: Similarly to yourself, I was aware of that early eighties Roxy Music, Avalon, Jealous Guy, that sort of thing. It didn't really take to it. It was that kind of big shoulder pad suits, very slick, very polished, yeah, kind of early eighties pop that I just didn't really find very interesting. And I was aware in sort of later years that Roxy Music in the seventies were a, were a far cooler, hipper proposition, but I'd never, never kind of delved into that side of them. I know Do the Strand. So yeah, Kane Twick not really knowing what to expect. And first listen, thought it was great.
0: What about you, Will? Well, the
3: first time I ever saw them was on Top of the Pops, where most of us got our music from in those days. And they did Virginia Plain, and that just was jaw-dropping. And then after that, They didn't seem to match up to that, so I fell away from having any interest in them. Um, So I was really pleased to have a retrospective listen to this album. First time I listened to it, some of the tracks, I thought, oh, God, this is going to be awful. What am I going to say about this? But after the maybe third or fourth time, I was getting really into it. This album hasn't scored as well as other albums in, in the series that we've done, but still very, very good. Really enjoyed listening to it.
1: Good. Oh Yeah, I mean, I'm coming from the same place as you two other guys who are basically the same age as me Where I know Avalon era, Roxy Music, Slave to Love, Avalon, that sort of thing What's that other one? More Than This, that's quite a good song actually oh, yeah. But I was aware of some earlier stuff, I also say New Virginia Plain, which is fabulous As is Love is the Drug, I think that's my favourite Roxy Music song actually So I didn't know what to expect, and I've told you guys before about how I don't like 70s music I never listen to 70s music. I don't know much about the chronology of how and when things happened in the 70s and who influenced who. So from that point of view, this is a very interesting album because you can really hear, as you say, Nick, that this has been influential. And I wonder also who it's been influenced by. I don't, however, think it's a very good album. It's a bit hit and miss I think some of it's great I think some of it's just terrible And quite often all within the course of one song (laughs) It's been interesting Mm,
0: It's interesting about hit or miss I think this is certainly a game of two halves In that the second side was a bit of a stretch for me I think there was (laughs) too much meandering But I thought there was some pretty good moments in the first side Shall we talk through it song by song? Yeah Yeah,
2: Yeah, track one do The Strand
0: There's a new sensation A fabulous
2: creation
3: A danceable solution
2: emphatic opener. We've talked about this before, about opening tracks of albums and odd choices and stuff, but I think this is a brilliant opening track for this album. It puts you right there. Not the best track on the album, but certainly one of the best tracks for me. It's just in your face and it doesn't mess around. It sets out the intent for the rest of the album. Yeah,
3: it's rolling bass, it's screeching sax, it's driving drums what's not to like and I'll tell you what's not to like it's just too long
1: <laughs> there is that it is the best song to pick as an opener I think if they put anything yeah. else the first song on the album would have been absolutely insane it works really well the weird angular oddness of that opening verse and then when a the band comes in it really drives along it's really impressive I don't like the sound of it though I think the bass is way too loud I and mean, the bass sounds absolutely horrible and I was thinking god is the whole album going to sound like this so am I accidentally listening to some sort of mid 2000s remaster that's really ruined it but no it just Just sounds like that It's a really good song But I agree with Will It goes on forever If he does another verse I'm going to kill him It just goes (laughs) on and on there are a lot of tracks on
2: this album that I do think go on too long, but this wasn't one of them. I don't know. I think because it's got so much energy, it doesn't really run out of steam. And I know it doesn't really develop anywhere. It, it does the same thing, but
1: I think what it does is strong enough to last. It's only four minutes. The long instrumental section I think is really fantastic with all the solos going on. It, it really mm. works. But then when it comes back into that verse-chorus structure, there's just too many verses. It's like, Jesus Christ, Brian, give it a rest, man. Also, Sparks, right? Yes, yeah. There's Sparks yeah. all the way through this album.
0: <laughs> Tell you what else. This is the blueprint for the time warp from Rocky
1: Horror
2: I was, Show. Yes, <laughs> Rocky <laughs> Horror is very there as well, isn't it? And that
1: came what yeah. three years later, or something like that. I forgot to put this in round up the year, but actually, the stage show started in London in 1973. The film maybe three years later, but the the stage show was 73.
3: Can I just pick you up on that? What did you mean by Sparks? Do you mean Sparks the band? Mm-hmm. Ah, right. Well, it's quite. Quite interesting. They joined Island Records a year or so
1: later. Yes, they did. They moved to England, signed to Island Records, and uh, released Come On My yeah. House the following year. And this time, big enough for both of us, is Do The Strand almost. It's not yeah. so similar that you could say rip-off, but it's, it's just so obviously seems influenced by it. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Nice to see the connections between different bands.
0: Yeah. I would agree. The next track was Beauty Queen, which bizarrely reminded me of Creep by Radiohead. be please believe it never could work out The time to make Makes my starry eyes shiver
2: Then I look
3: Too much for one day
2: The best thing about this track for me is the ending. And I don't mean that because it goes on too long. The ending just comes in a really unexpected point. And I really like this song as well. I think it's a uh, very
1: different change your pace from Do The Strand. Mm. This sounds like David Bowie. you put David Bowie singing this song and it yeah, would fit on any yeah. number of Bowie albums. And again, I'm not au enough with Bowie's output because it, most of it's in the 70s to know whether Bowie would have been influenced by this or whether this has been influenced by Bowie or what. Because I know that like this is at the same time as Ziggy Stardust ends. So I don't know whether this sounds like Hunky Dory Bowie before it or whether it sounds like after. I, I just don't know. Maybe one of you can help me out here. Maybe not. <laughs> no. I, I
3: didn't pick well... that one up. <laughs> about this song, f- from my point of view, is the up-tempo section, mm, which was that's great, very nice in itself, but it maybe should have been a song in
1: itself. Mm, I like the contrast, the dynamic. I think it's one of the better songs on the album, and it's because of the fast bit. It's an interesting song because of it.
0: What about you, Nick? I quite liked it, yeah. I've never been a huge fan of glam rock stomp feel, and so... I was kind of worried that the whole album was going to be like that So this was kind of, oh this is interesting I quite liked it We then went into Strictly Confidential Which is
1: pretty gothic It's got a bit of the sisters about it Is that what you're saying? I thought this had Shades of Bowie about it as well The big dramatic climax is quite good But I thought the song on the whole was a bit dull Not one of my favourites
3: I've got this down as Pound Shop Jethro Tull
1: The best kind of Jethro Tull <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. I did not like this one at all This
2: one is the kind of closest indicator Of what Roxy Music would be doing in the 80s for me I didn't particularly like it, not my favourite one
0: Wasn't the most
3: exciting track on
0: the record What about then, Editions of You?
3: Picture frame, just waiting for the perfect
2: view. I hope something special will send me my life. Another fine edition of you.
3: I'm in a in shades of blue. Sometimes you find a
2: yearning for the quiet life, the country here and all of its joys. But that's
0: Love this. This is my favorite of the whole album. See here I think it's brilliant. Just right. This is epic. Very blur.
2: Yeah, it's a spiky killer track, isn't it? When that chorus kicks in, it's just, yeah, it's doing it. It's doing it for me.
0: You've got these
3: songs that when they come on in the pub, you just see the lads in the pub and their heads just start nodding, don't they? Um, A bit like songs like Lust for Life. It's an Mm. epic song. I really love
1: this one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really powerful beat. And then you get into the sax madness he just going bonkers uh-huh. yeah i think uh-huh.
1: this the sax solo and the and the guitar solo are both great in it and it does sound like blur never yeah. spotted that but you're right <laughs> or rather blur sound, yeah well it? exactly
2: this is a companion track to do the strand for me those two are of a pair and they don't sit particularly well with the rest of the stuff on the album certainly the two tracks that have come before this feel like a different band it was certainly a very different
1: album But I love this so I think this is great I don't agree with you in that I quite like the contrast And it, it does sound like the same band To me anyway But yeah I mean I get your point It's quite a change in tone isn't it It's a change of tone from Strictly Confidential for sure yes, Yeah, yeah. Then the last song And the
0: first half of the album In Every Dream Home A Heartache I bought
2: you order, my Lord. My plain wrapper baby your skin is like vinyl The perfect companion You float in my new pool Deluxe and delightful I was half listening to this. I was Inflates painting our lounge our when I first listened to this album.
3: You are so rock and roll.
2: I know. Well, it works how we rock. That's how we roll here. First a minute and a half was, was washing over me. And then... I, became aware that he was singing about a blow-up doll and I thought it's not is it, it must just be an analogy but he wasn't it just appears to be a literal oh no that's right about yeah yeah it's true doll. it's a strange song it's kind of in sort of three different parts but I like it I can't help liking this one Yeah, I just like its strangeness you know he's creating a world isn't he of this kind of idle home where I actually draw the curtains, it's kind of David Lynch-like, isn't it? I
3: did not particularly like the song, but the tremolo quality that Ferry can put onto his voice is quite remarkable. It's good to listen to, even though I didn't like this part of the song. And then you've got the instrumental that lasts three minutes towards the end. It's a masterclass that other people probably listen to, thinking, oh, yeah, let's have a go at that. So as a song, didn't like it, but really interesting
0: There's something interesting About his lyrics Which I wasn't expecting Having really only been aware Of 80s Roxy music There's some great lyrics And Do The Strand Some great wordplay And there's some quite Bonkers stuff in it and quite a number of these songs I really liked it And I like the way It kind of explodes at the end There was something Duran duran about that At hmm. some uh-huh. points in it I can't quite place why But that's what I was Picking up in that one What oh, about you Al? What do you think?
1: Hmm, I'm not a huge fan of this one I think I, I understand that by doing the quiet bit for so long it increases the impact of the loud bit but it just does go on a little bit too long I think it gets a bit boring but then it is good when it picks up I don't particularly like the fading back in bit lay off the flanger is my view this is one of those that there's good bits in this song but it's both hit and miss for me I never got to the point where I felt like skipping it I did listen to it all the way through every time which if I can just make a brilliant move into the next song it's not true of every song is it yeah yeah
3: yeah
0: then go on to side two and we've got the bogus man i've written here this is a bit random i've then written ghostly honking uh <laughs> two experimental nine minutes 41 seconds certainly honking i'd give it that <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a bit indulgent isn't it it's long and it doesn't need to be this long actually it doesn't need to be any length really does it they could just take it off the hub well,
1: just- I, I suspect that if it faded out after a couple of minutes i'd probably think it was great uh uh-huh. but it goes on for, like, another seven or eight minutes after that, and it's just boring. It doesn't really go any further, yeah, does it? Yeah, it doesn't do anything that you haven't already heard. It's really, really dull. It's got a bit of a kind of boom, boom, boom,
2: boom. boom. Bit like Mr. Soft, yeah. isn't it? I yeah. quite like this. It would make a brilliant kids television theme tune if it was like 25 seconds long there was
0: something <laughs> TV theme tune about it yeah. that's what I meant by ghostly honking it might have been alright on, uh-huh. maybe one of the slightly scary parts of Rent-A-Ghost or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> so ten minutes later we get to Grey Lagoons
3: Broken Park is making a strange bye.
0: Share with you actually this had quite a nice groove and kind of goes into another kind of glam rock stomp but it wasn't the best example of that on the album
2: yeah I'd agree it kicks along quite nicely but it doesn't do anything any better than anywhere else it's alright it's not the most memorable track in fact it's probably the least memorable track on the album
3: I quite like the, the right. bass and the guitar breaks quite enjoyed the song in general
1: I think Greater Lagoons is really good I really like it it's my second favourite from the album really? very stonesy vibe to it which is really nice then those fast bits it's like the faces it's like proper 70s rock rather than glam i think it really works there's such a nice atmosphere to it it's a happy song it's got a real strut to it it did make me smile that's interesting
2: Yeah, i found it just didn't really come together into a coherent whole it kind of had lots of bits but they just felt like bits that weren't particularly connected mm. it was all right but it kind of washed over me this one
0: i get what you mean about the stones it did have a Slightly different groove to it But as Chris says It just didn't quite come together as a whole for me
1: But it is very stonesy It sounds like can't always get what you want I think The main verse part The fast bits really Stay with me The faces are quite reminiscent of that They're two great rock songs So what's not to love? Fair enough They're all night you With your dark horse
3: hiding abhorring such extremes
0: About the last song, the title track for Your Pleasure.
2: I can't make up my mind about this one because obviously it's a title track, and I thought it was going to be a return to do the strand or editions of you kind of <clears throat> stomp along, and it's not. It's a bit of a drifter again to me. Doesn't really hit the mark. I'm not quite sure what mark it's trying to hit either. And again, very long. Well, it's got that really lengthy noodling. I think a final track is as important as the opening track on an album, and this seems to have just been chucked on the end. The
1: whole lengthy noodling at the end just seems to be giving Eno his chance to do some oddball noises without anyone else getting in the way. Yeah, I think there's a lot of Eno in this. Isn't not just Eno at the end, of course. But I think that he may have been in charge with what was going on.
2: Obviously, there was a lot of acrimony between the two Bryans at the end. What caused
1: Eno to leave? Ferry was... He wrote every song, Brian Ferry. And I think he was just very much in control and and wanted to exert his control. And and Eno wanted a bit more... Creative input to the band and wasn't being allowed it. Wrote, so. wrote
2: every song as in wrote the music as well. Wrote, wrote the words.
1: Yeah, yeah. Music. Uh, Brian Ferry is the sole writer of everything off the yeah. first few I albums. I always assumed Eno was the musical creative side of Eno Roxy Music. Eno wasn't even and... a musician. He was just a guy who was good at messing about with stuff. I don't think Eno could play yeah. any musical instruments when he was in Roxy Music. He was yeah. just,
0: what was it he called it? Giving the music its treatments, as he described uh-huh. it. At the end of that song, it wasn't just Eno, any of you pick up on the voice. At the end of the track, do you know who that was?
1: I know what you mean, but I don't know who it was. Oh, no. yeah,
0: that was What's-Her-Face, M. It was <laughs> M, yes. It was <laughs> Judy Dench. What? No, was it
1: really? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It was a female right at the end.
1: Now that you mention it, it sounds like Judy Dench. <laughs> How did I what, is it about a it? sample or they, is she actually Contributing to the track Don't
0: know. I'm I
3: don't think they had samples in those days So I think she recorded it I didn't bother to go
0: and track down the story
1: One thing I do like a lot in this song The really sort of surf guitar With the big spring reverb it's oh, yeah, a lovely sound. Like that. really good. Oh, but the guitar does sound lovely. It's just such a big, rich sound, and it's the only time that anything like that really happens. A warm sound. Everything's so spiky and angular, and then there's just this beautiful warm guitar comes in. It's a nice contrast. I think it's an okay song. I don't I really don't like that really lengthy noodling bit at the end, but I think the song up to that point is quite good.
0: So that's it. We've worked our way through. So Overall, what did you think? Well Well this one
3: got fourteen ticks, so it's a kind of middle of the road album. There were some very good stuff. I actually did like the noodlings at the end of For Your Pleasure. There were songs that didn't quite make it, but there are other songs that really did, so I'd have been happy to have bought this at some point in my life and mm-hmm. to put it on my uh turntable. What was your favourite track? Editions of You mm-hmm. was my favourite.
0: How many ticks? Three. Ooh. <laughs> That's a good sign. It's a lot of ticks. It's a lot of ticks. Chris, what did you think?
2: In spite of not enjoying the whole album, I think this was probably my favourite album that we've done over these little sessions. In part because it was very new and I didn't know a lot about this kind of era of Roxy music and it wasn't what I was expecting it to be. But also there's just some great tracks on there. I think the album is better than the sum of its parts. I thought it was really interesting and unexpectedly enjoyable. It gets a big tick from me.
0: Oh, I like the way you did that Nice (laughs) Not three ticks, just one big one Al, what about
1: you? I didn't particularly like it I'm glad we've listened to it though Because I thought it was very interesting And I do actually agree with Chris That it is greater than the sum of its parts The whole album hangs together nicely It doesn't make me really want to go and listen to more early Roxy music If I was going to tick it, like, well I'd give it seven And I'd be adding one on for its general coherence Yeah, I don't particularly like it. I would agree
0: with Chris and Al. The album is better than the sum of its parts. That that was my view as well. I quite enjoyed listening to the whole thing. I quite enjoyed listening to the Eno treatments that were going on. I think that was interesting, (laughs) even if sometimes the songs didn't go anywhere. Overall, I liked it. I think my favourite track probably was Editions of You as well. Although I think my second one would be In Every Dream Home A Heartache.
1: Al, what was your favourite try? Made it pretty clear, Editions for You is my favourite. I think we're all in agreement, that's the best thing. Grey Lagoons would be my second favourite. As I said, I'm quite surprised that you know, the rest of you liked it, really.
0: single of that year not my single of the year but my favorite of the number ones i find this quite difficult because none of them particularly inspired me it's a good year for gary glitter fans wasn't well, it? well yeah it was a very glam year but actually i went for something almost exactly opposite and i've gone for a tie yellow ribbon around the old oak tree <laughs> 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 i yeah. love that song remember <laughs> that classic. One. yeah yeah remember that one well uh, I was tempted to go for the Van Der Vaal theme tune But uh, I decided not to have gone for tay Yellow Ribbon."
2: I remember that really well, that song Which is odd because obviously I was only two and you were only three Brotherhood of Man did a version of this That's the version I remember They did it for the Eurovision Song Contest oh. No,
1: no, no You're getting this mixed up with uh, Save All Your Kisses For Me, aren't you? Which is a very similar song <laughs> That was Brotherhood of Man in the Eurovision Song Contest <laughs> Wasn't it?
3: I'm getting confused I well, heard Man certainly did tie a yellow ribbon. I am going to get confused, so I'm going to move us on. Chris, what would be your single?
2: My favourite number one. I know when we did 75, I think, could remember every number one from that year. And 73, again, would seem unlikely being two years old, but I can remember pretty much every number one from that year. But the one that most sticks in mind is Blockbuster by The Sweet. So I'm going for that obviously, peak glam rock <laughs> in a peak glam rock year. The
1: peak glam rock year, yeah. really, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm surprised that you, Nick, arguing that this isn't a good year for number ones. I think it's fantastic. So What would be yours, Al? It's not a hard choice, despite the fact that there's Blockbuster and can the can and, and squeeze me please me Merry Christmas everybody as well fantastic song yeah. it is Slade for me come on feel the noise which I think is a uh-huh. wonderful song I think it's Slade at the very best proper stomper which uh, I suppose you have said you don't like Nick but it's the uber stomper it's a, oh, it's a great song I love it come on feel the noise girls rock your boys we'll get wild Slade's year yeah Slade's year I think they had three number yeah. ones this
3: yeah. year
2: didn't they Slade yes they them. did
1: Ruling the charts.
3: Well, I um I chose that one too because obviously geographically I had to gonna kind of go with that one when I saw it, and I do think that's a great great song. So the thing about Slade is, as time goes on, I appreciate them more. I, I see more depth into their music than I originally thought, even back then.
1: They're much better band than they're remembered as being. I think they're genuinely good. Yeah, and are I seen think, as a bit seen as a novelty kind act of been, because yeah. of the Christmas yeah, I think hit that's and the
2: funny clothes. Yeah, Christmas hits and also their lead
1: singer being called Noddy didn't help. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> help <though. laughs> yeah, that's not his fault. The top hat with the mirror is on it. Dave Hill's hair. Yeah, <laughs> Dave's teeth didn't help. You can see where people might be coming from, I think yeah, there, but yeah, their music yeah. was much stronger than that. They <laughs> yes, just, yes. deserve a bit more respect. They've been, um, been overshadowed
3: by their, their festive
1: successes. Yes, I think. indeed.
3: Yeah. Nick, what would be your album of 73? This is quite tough
0: because there's so many great albums. Isn't there? Um, just awesome. That ones. Year when I went down like, that list, I just thought, oh my God, what a yeah. year. Talked about grand Parsons at the beginning. He... Had a good album out that year There was Dr John's In The Right Place There was Tom Waits' first album, Closing Time Loads of great soul records, Al Green and Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder and There was all sorts of stuff out there. But actually, what I've gone for is by a Scottish artist called John Martin An album oh, called yes. Solid Air Which is one that I've always gone back to It's an amazing album
1: I don't know it you
0: would recognise some of the tunes if you heard it. It's a proper classic, and you will know
1: some of those tunes. Interesting choice. I was sure you'd go for Tom Waits. Um, yeah, I know I you like you Tom, were Waits. Go for Tom Waits. Well, I do, yeah. and
0: and it's a great album. It's not my favourite Tom Waits album. Right. So
1: it's one that I know. Closing time, and uh, it's not my favourite Tom Waits album. So, Chris, what was your fave? I struggle with this a little bit. Because obviously I wasn't listening
2: to music at the time, being quite young. So everything that I've heard is listened to long, long after. And I'm not a great one for going back through. I listen to stuff when it's around rather than sort of 20, 30 years later. I'm gibbering a bit now. I'll cut to the chase. I've gone for Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, which will probably irritate all of you. But it's one of those big, big albums, if only for The Great Gig in the Sky, which I think is a fabulous, fabulous track. Listened to it lots in the 90s, I suppose. In my late teens, early twenties. Um, not a massive Pink Floyd fan by any shape or size, but do like this album,
1: so gone for that one. Well, on our very first podcast, I remember Will That's right, yeah. had listened to this and I was saying that I've never listened to Dark Side of the Moon and I still haven't, and that was when I was talking about how much I hate seventies music. But don't mm. I can't comment on Dark Side of the Moon. Never heard it. When I um knew I had to choose an album, I did start putting a short list together. Because I, I don't really know any of the albums, like you're saying, Chris. I, like, I recognize them. There's lots of famous albums, but mm. I don't know mm-hmm. them. And of course, Dark Side of the Moon was on it. So I almost did listen to it. But then when I saw, I get the feeling I'm going to get jumped on for saying this. But um, the one I'm going for is uh, The Beatles, 1962, 1966, The Red Album. I, I, know one the I know it's a compilation. I know it's a compilation. Surely that's not but- allowed. <laughs> But no, it is lots, lots of the singles on it had never been on an album before Or not on an official Beatles album And also yeah. it just is uh-huh. Including the Blue album which came out the same year It just is the best album as far as I'm yep. concerned Obviously it's from Please Please Me, the first album Up to Revolver, double album There are 26 songs on it And everyone is only, brilliant yeah. Every single one on it is just brilliant It's a best of the first half of their career And I, I just don't think you get a better best of album The Beatles aren't my favourite band but when you look at this and you look at from late in 1962 up till 1966, for anyone to come up with, and it's, they're all Lennon McCartney songs, for the two people to come up yep. with such a strength of material is just absolutely astonishing. It's an amazing album. And it's one I actually know as well, which kind of helped. <laughs> up until a very short while ago, this
2: was going to be my choice as well. Really? Um, <laughs> because it's, it's one of my first musical memories. My nan and grandad had this as an eight-track cassette. And they had the Red Album and the Blue Album. They had them both, but this was the one that kind of captured my imagination as a wee kid. And it is one of the first albums I can remember listening to. But um, for reasons that had become queer quite soon, I I'd, I'd decided not to go for it at the last minute. I'd back your choice. Brilliant album.
1: I also did wonder whether any of you might see oh, the Blue Album's much better, but... Um... I don't know. Some of their later stuff leaves me well, a little bit cold. Well, I was thinking, I
2: was thinking that, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're both great, obviously. Yeah, and it's got all those really great early two-minute pop songs. Yeah, and interestingly, every um, what are we on seventy? Three, the the two Beatles compilations come out and every former member of the Beatles has an album out this yeah. year as well, a solo album. Yeah,
3: My album of the year is split between two. Masterpiece from The Temptations. Uh-huh. And when you call your album Masterpiece, you need to back it up. Mm. I'm not sure they actually did that, but it's full of good tracks and the standout track from that album would have been law of the land which i just think is an awesome track um and the other album i was thinking about would be back to the world by curtis mayfield quite recently i personally reprised the album and started listening to it again and i realized just how incredible curtis mayfield was one of the tracks from it future shock you should all listen to because undoubtedly prince must have been listening to and mm-hmm. was inspired by curtis mayfield in general But certainly um, Future Shock, the track, very, very similar in in a way. In a good way, not in a rip-off way. So, yeah, my album would be Back to the World by Curtis Mayfield.
1: Well, I'm sure Future Shock will end up on our playlist. Oh, I hope so. Our extras playlist. it's,
3: it's, um, It's a good, good, good song.
2: So, that was 1973. Next time, we have landed in 1965. Lots of big beasts had albums out in 1965. But I must went for a couple of things. I was going to shake it up and go for John Coltrane and Love Supreme. Um, Just because I thought it was an album that none of us would know very well, although we'd probably be aware
0: of it. I love that album. I
2: had a bit of a closer look. There's only four tracks. Obviously, they're all instrumentals. And I think we'd struggle to find anything coherent to say about them that would last for a whole podcast. So I have passed on that one. Listen to that at your own pleasure. And then I was going to go for Highway 61 Revisited by Bob Dylan because we've never really got into Bob Dylan. I'm not a big Bob Dylan fan. I don't think any of us are big Bob Dylan fans, but obviously no. he's one of the uh, one of the big boys. But then I thought for middle middle-aged men arguing about Bob Dylan, that's probably done before a few times. I didn't <laughs> really have the energy for that. So I've landed at Rubber Soul by the Beatles. We've done a lot of interesting stuff, but we've never really gone to the top of the tree, have we? So it's time to... Time to start at the beginning. Well, not quite the beginning, the sixth studio album by the Beatles. But this is kind of held at the point where the Beatles sort of grew up a bit and we're um, moving on to more interesting, complex songwriting. Comes at the tail end of the Red album. And this is why I didn't stick the Red album on my uh, favourite album choice because I thought two Beatles choices from the same person is too much. So Rubber Soul, The Beatles, 1965, for next time.
0: Looking forward to it. See you there. Yeah.
1: I don't think I've ever listened to Rubber Soul, ever, even though I know quite a lot of songs from it. Interesting choice, I'm up for it.
0: So there we have it. That was 1973. That was Roxy Music for your pleasure. I hope you all enjoyed that, chaps. No, I did. And I hope our listeners did too. And if you're looking for uh, not just the podcast, but our playlists, you'll find those on Spotify and YouTube. Search for CB Music Club. You'll find us on Instagram. You'll find us on our YouTube channel. And let us know what you think. Leave some feedback. Let us know if there's anything you think we should be listening to from those years. So that was 73. We'll see you in 1965. Cheers the new. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye Bye-bye.